do just have one point of clarification. My little four-year-old boy, Branch, asked me if I was going to the game this afternoon. I was joking about the volleyball game. I think most of you know that, but Branch was very concerned. If some of you do want to play volleyball after that, that's fine. Just deacon Sunday school teachers get ready for a long week of ministry in the hospitals. Sprained ankles, pulled hamstrings, you know, it could be fun. could be fun. It's, a, it's fun to be a kid, isn't it? You, your imagination kind of runs wild sometimes. Sometimes you, you might even take things a little too literally when you're not supposed to. I remember uh, one fun family trip we took, in particular when I was growing up, my dad worked for a business, a, a, a company called Orgel. They're based out of Memphis, uh, still in existence to this day. They sell hardware uh, to, uh, to different retailers and, and, um, and, and local hardware stores. And my, uh, my dad was going to his annual sales meeting, you know, a big trip. And they, uh, they were going to Orlando, Florida that year. And my mom was kind of teasing us, you know, Jake, Luke talking to me and my brother, wouldn't it be fun if we could just go with Pap all week long and we didn't have to go to school? Yeah, that'd be fun. Too bad we got to stay here. When we showed up to the airport that morning, my, uh, my mom said, hey, boys, why don't you take your backpacks? And we're like, why do we need our backpacks? She said, just have, take, take them with you in here. You might have to do some homework before Pap gets on the plane. I was like, okay, whatever. Man, my backpack was real heavy. We got in the airport and... And Pat had, had four airplane tickets. We all got to go. And so we, we traveled down there. And one of the days that I don't know if my dad was supposed to work and he just didn't. Or if he kind of worked it out with his, his bosses or whoever. I'm sure he did. Uh, but we went to Universal Studios there in Orlando. Got to go on some of the, the rides and see the different attractions. And I remember one attraction we came into in particular was one of those 3D rides. You guys, you guys remember the, the old school, the 3D? The, the glasses and I, I had never really you know at least the, I, I couldn't remember having ever put on 3D glasses and watched anything in 3D right usually it's just a flat screen and you've got the width and the height of the picture but it's just flat you, you can't see depth and so we put these glasses on and all of a sudden people were coming out of the screen you know, the, their arms were reaching, and it was like he was just going to come across and swipe your hair right across the top of your head. You know, and you, you saw all kinds of things flying. Rocks would, you know, there, there'd be an explosion, and rocks would come out at you, and you'd kind of duck and make sure they weren't going to hit you. And that was just a, it was a, a fun trip. And so here's, a, here's my oversimplified version of 3D technology, Okay. 3D movies basically work by displaying two different images so that your left eye and, and your right eye see different pictures, but then your mind puts it together as one composite image. And so it almost it plays with your mind when there's a movie on a flat screen to make you think you're not just seeing the width and the height of picture, but also the depth of the picture. Now, unlike wearing 3D glasses, I don't want to trick your mind into seeing something that's not really present. But I do want to expand your vision of the Christian life so that you get a true five-dimensional picture 
of the church. Many in the world today have become disillusioned with any type of religious organization, especially churches. Because maybe they've experienced some personal pain along the way. Somebody in the church has, has said something or done something and it's hurt them. Or maybe there's just some cynical criticism of structured institutions because you know that church is run by those people the reality is this every person who commits to a church family over the long haul who chooses to be involved and participate and be active has been hurt at some point by somebody else in the church i mean look i'll be honest with you i love all of you but some of you have said some mean things to me before I forgive you and move on. Some of you have really done some things I didn't like, but we move on. The reason why people continue to belong to a church is because they see past those difficulties. They see past the hurts. They see past all of the, the red tape that occurs with organizational policies. And they see the bigger picture of what God is doing. And what he wants to do through his body of believers. You know, many people are are tempted to look at the church and go, you know what? I got me and Jesus, and that's how we're just going to live the rest of life. Just me and Jesus. Me and him doing our own thing. But that's not how Jesus has purposed for you to live your Christian life. The Christian life is about you coming into relationship with Jesus personally and then joining other believers in Jesus as a church so that he can bring redemption to the world. So if you would this morning, I'm going to ask you to put on some five-dimensional glasses as we take a look at the dimensions of the church so that you can catch the same 5D vision about this place and about these people that God has. I invite you to look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2 verses 41 through 47. God's word says, So then those who had received his word, that's Peter, Peter had been preaching a message, Those who had received Peter's word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's amazing to stop and think about. But if all we think about is, well, there's 3,000 people that became part of the church that day, we've missed the bigger picture. The church is not a one-dimensional body. It's... It's not that we're just trying to get as many people in here as possible to fill up the pews. There's more to it than that. And so we keep reading in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, 
They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a historical time period that occurred in the New Testament church? I want to share with you this simple fact this morning. God can do the same things and even greater things in this church, in this time, than what he did through that church in the book in Acts. We've got to have the idea and the understanding, though, of a five-dimensional church. So I'm going to give you these five dimensions, and they're presented here in the verses we just read. The first dimension is the dimension of evangelism, the evangelism dimension. And I kind of phrase it like this, a church tells others about Jesus. A church tells others about Jesus. In fact, look back at verse 41 that kind of began the passage we're looking at this morning. Those who had received his word were baptized. Peter had been telling people who Jesus was and what he had done for them. Namely, Jesus is God's son that had come into this world and died on the cross for the sins of the world so that all who believe in him wouldn't be punished for their sins in eternity but rather would be forgiven of their sins and be given eternal life. Evangelism is what Peter practiced. Evangelism is simply sharing Jesus' story and telling your testimony. You don't have to know a lot. You just have to know Jesus. And you have to know that you know Jesus. And you have to care that other people come to know Jesus. All you got to know is who Jesus is. You, you have a personal relationship with him and you tell other people about that relationship. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody before and they, they say, oh, do you, do you know so-and-so? And you'll either say yes or no, depending on if you know the person, and then they proceed to tell you about the person that they know. It, it may just be a phrase, he wears glasses or she's pretty or this person's really smart or whatever the case may be. But they talk to you about that person because they know that person. Evangelism is the same kind of thing when a Christian is talking to somebody else about their personal relationship with Jesus. They just share Jesus' story and tell their testimony. It's basically what happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 40, when Peter's talking. In fact, if you go back and read that sometime, Peter's talking to a crowd of Jewish people gathered there in the city of Jerusalem. And after he talks to them about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, he urges them to trust Jesus just like he had. And 3,000 of them do. They trust in Jesus. Because Peter shared the story of Jesus. And this is how it works. People don't become Christians simply by walking into a church building, do they? I mean, if that's the case, then we need to just get everybody possible to come through the doors at one point or another in their lifetime. But that's not how a person becomes a Christian. And people don't just become Christians because they think they were born into a Christian household. When my parents went to church, they called themselves Baptists. I'm going to church now. I guess that's what makes me a Christian. A person becomes a Christian when they personally trust and believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. And they give their life to him as Lord. 
in order for a person to make that decision of faith, somebody's got to tell them they need to make that decision of faith. And somebody's got to share with them how to make that decision of faith. And why to make that decision of faith. That's what Peter did. Evangelism is sharing Jesus' story and telling your testimony. Jesus' story in a nutshell is this. He was crucified on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave, just like the Bible teaches. That's Jesus' story. You guys know that. You can remember that. You can share that. What about your testimony? I, I've, I've heard, a, heard it described this way, and maybe this will help you think about how to communicate your testimony of salvation with others. Your testimony is, is an easy story to tell. You can add as many details as you want to, but there's basically three components. This was your life before you knew Jesus. This was how Jesus changed your life. And this is your life now that you live in relationship with Jesus. So for me, it looks something like this. I was a boy who lied to my parents, cheated on math tests, and beat up my brother every day. Every day. I mean, it was just without fail. You know, as soon as I was old enough to walk and he was, he was old enough for me to not have to worry about mom screaming at me for hurting the baby, we just fought all the time. And it might sound crazy to you, but I knew at six years old that I had done wrong to these people and to God who made me. And I knew that the only way I could be forgiven of my sins is if I believed that Jesus died for my sins. And I'd heard my preacher talk about that, and so one night, one Sunday night, I trusted Jesus to save me. I went to my parents and said, Mom and Pap, that's what I called my dad, I said, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And they said, okay. I said, no, like right now. And so we knelt there in the living room and I just asked Jesus to forgive me my sins. And that moment began this wonderful relationship that I've been able to experience the rest of my life. I didn't all of a sudden know everything about the Bible or know everything about Jesus or God. But I came to know that Jesus didn't just die for my sins and rose again, but he's also with me every day. And he helps me do what God wants me to do with my life. That's it. Just a testimony. And if you know Jesus, you have a testimony too. You just might have to work out how you need to talk about it, right? You know, it, I've heard it explained before that Christians, all Christians, are like men at some point or another. They've all got something to say, but they're either too scared to say it or they don't know how to say it, right? Oh, guys, that, that hurt you a little too much, didn't it? I'm sorry. You know, sometimes... Men just have a real difficult time figuring out how they need to phrase something or how they want to phrase something or they feel like they don't need to talk about it because it's just this known thing. Folks, I, I need to share something with you. Jesus is not just an automatically known thing by everybody in the world. Christians have got to take the time and be intentional about sharing their testimony with other people. You know how your wives, guys, get upset with you when, when you don't talk to her about what's going on? I mean, just imagine a lost world who doesn't know who Jesus is, and they need to know him, and there's an aching and a longing and a yearning in their hearts, but yet there's a group of Christians that go, eh, people have heard about Jesus before, or eh, somebody could say it better than me, or nah, I don't really want to talk about it. Evangelism is a dimension of a church the initial, the first dimension of the church, we've got to share the story of Jesus and tell our testimony to others. 
There's a man named D.T. Niles who said this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I'd like to add a little to that. The church is a group of beggars eating together at the Lord's table and inviting other people to join them. That's, that's all we are. None of us in this room are perfect. If you are, you just hadn't got a seat at the table close enough to Jesus yet. He'll bring you on up there so he can show you how sinful you are. But it's so that he can show you how much he loves you anyways. And that's the message we get to present to the world. We get to tell them that Jesus loved them enough to die for their sins. And that he's powerful enough to save them because he rose from the dead. He can change their life. He's changed our lives, hasn't he? We, gotta, we share that message with others. So there's the evangelism dimension. A church tells others about Jesus. And then in verse 42, we see the discipleship dimension. The discipleship dimension. And I explain it this way. A church helps others follow Jesus. A church helps others follow Jesus. You know, because once a relationship with somebody begins, it needs to continue, right? I mean, when, when I married Stephanie... About 12 years ago, it'll be 12 years ago in July, I didn't just say, I do, let's kiss, now I don't ever have to talk to you again, right? No, we, we've lived together these last 12 years. We know one another. We've gotten to know one another better and more. A church helps people who've come to know Jesus follow Jesus on a daily basis. Look at verse 42. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I like the, uh, the adverb there, continually. Something that's ongoing. It, it's something that's constant. It's, a, it's the regular. It's the norm. It's the pattern for their life. And the, the verb, devoting, they were committed to believing the teachings of Christ, to learning what he said, to applying them in the way that they went about their own daily life. And notice that this didn't take place with them hunkered down in their Bibles in a closet somewhere by themselves. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles taught in a group setting so that they could be held accountable for the truth that they were presenting. And so that others could discuss the truth that they were talking about. The apostles were the ones who knew Jesus most closely and thus were able to present his teachings most clearly. Today, we have the Bible. We have God's Word. And we ought to spend time reading it and studying it privately, but we also ought to listen to others as they preach and as they teach. And we also ought to discuss it, ask questions, and talk with other believers about the truths God is showing us. This happens at Places called Sunday School here at First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge. We, we meet at 9.30 a.m. before we come in here to this worship service. There is a Sunday School class for you. Trust me, any of our Sunday School classes, we'd be happy to have you as part of their group. And if there's not a Sunday School class for you, come tell me and we'll start you a new one. All right? You think I'm kidding. Come tell me, I'll start you a new one. All right? So here's the thing, when we come together as believers, it's not just about telling everybody who's lost about Jesus, it's also helping those who have come to know Jesus, know Jesus more. And the disciples' goal, I want you to pay attention here, the disciples' goal was not just to have a bunch of people sit at their feet and listen to them forever. I mean, look, I love preaching to you on Sunday mornings, 
And I love preaching to you on Sunday nights. I love teaching on Wednesday nights. But look, here's, here's what I'd love to see. Can I share this with you? And this might sound crazy to you, but I think this is what the apostles wanted to see when they taught. I would love to see every one of you not here in the future on a Sunday morning and instead pastoring your own church or serving God on a mission field somewhere across the globe or instead helping out at another campus somewhere for a church plant. I would love to see that. Hey, Jake, no, you, you really wouldn't. No, I would. In fact, this is what Jesus wanted to see in his church. It's not just about people coming together and sitting down and getting filled up from somebody else. It's about them learning who Jesus is and then sharing about Jesus with other peoples. In, in fact, Jesus told his disciples just before they left that their job wasn't just to follow him, but it was to make more disciples. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Wouldn't it be cool if, if you, as a Christian, started sharing your faith with other people and, and you invited others to come, but you got to the point where you thought, well, Jake, we, we can start a, a new group over here, a new Sunday school class, or Jake, we... We need to plant a church over here. Jake, I love what you've been sharing with me about taking the gospel of Jesus to the nations. And I love you, but hey, next month, I'm headed out. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? It's the dimension of discipleship. A church helps others follow Jesus. A church's goal is not to see how big it can get. A church's goal is to share God's glory and to show God's glory to the world so others can see how big God is. This is the discipleship dimension. Everybody ought to be equipped to become a teacher or a servant as God gifts them and calls them in the church. Our job is to help them get to that point. So there's the evangelism dimension. There's the discipleship dimension. And then there's the fellowship dimension. Look at the end of verse 42. They weren't just devoting themselves to teaching. They were also devoting themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer fellowship. They actually wanted and chose to spend time with each other outside of a once-a-week worship service. Let me tell you why, why so many people get disappointed and, and uh, almost think that the church does nothing good for them personally. Here, here's why. They'll, they'll be invited to church by somebody and it'll take them about eight times before they finally say, you know what, I'll go just so this person will be quiet and stop inviting me to church. And then here's what'll happen. They'll show up to church and they'll sit in the parking lot for a minute and they'll go, man, I don't want to walk in there. I don't know anybody. And so they'll, they'll, they'll wait out there until it's like right time for the worship service to start. They'll walk through the doors. They'll sit down on a pew and not talk to anybody. And then as soon as the amen is said at the end of the service, they go and hit the restaurant and they think, whew, I'm out of there. Why did I go? What was the point? I'm not ever going back. In fact, what you'll find here, if you'll actually choose to get to know people and let people get to know you, because our church members want to get to know our guests, it's neat to see what God does through those relationships when it happens. But when people actually choose to get to know others and let others get to know them, this wonderful thing called fellowship takes place. And in the church, it's a deep-rooted fellowship. It's a familial fellowship. We're a family 
of believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, John talks about this over in his book, 1 John, that we have fellowship with Christ and in turn with one another. Throughout the New Testament, when the writers of the Bible were talking to other believers, they referred to them as brothers or sisters in the faith. Look, I know of you, some of you think that brother is just the title that's reserved for the preacher. That's not how it works. In fact, if you go back to the, to the old school understanding, to the biblical understanding, everybody that is in Christ, that's a man, is a brother. And everybody that's in Christ and is a woman is a sister. A sister with a divine purpose. How many of the ladies were here Tuesday night? You all had fun back there, didn't you? And this is fellowship in the family. Choosing, wanting to spend time with each other. And as this church was spending time with each other, there were a couple of things that were happening. They were breaking bread together. Some people think that's a reference to the church observing the Lord's Supper. And I have no doubt they did that together. But I think that they just were fellowshipping over a meal together. You know, we talk as Baptists about the good old-fashioned Baptist potluck. But man, there have been many a good conversation that have taken place over a meal in church fellowship halls during a supper time. We get to know each other. We love each other. We, we talk to each other. We care about each other's burdens. And really, that's how I describe the fellowship dimension. A church loves others like Jesus. A church loves others like Jesus. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. How did Jesus love his disciples? Did he call them together once a week and spend an hour with them and then say, sorry, go your own separate ways and then we can come back together next week? No. Jesus was with his disciples all the time. Everywhere he went. They followed him around. They listened to him. He talked to him. He questioned him. They answered his questions. They questioned him. He answered their questions. They had fellowship with each other. I mean, could you imagine that? Twelve guys together, walking around, camping outside most nights. I guarantee you it was fun. They had a ton of fun. They enjoyed talking with each other, eating with each other, and praying with each other. Listen, God hears you when you pray. If you're by yourself driving down the road in your car or if you're kneeling beside your bed before you go to sleep at night but man I'll share this with you because Jesus even talked about two or three being gathered in Matthew chapter 18 and and God hearing them in the context of discipline and, and judgment for those who had gone astray there is something that's special that happens when a group of believers get together and pray that you just won't experience if you're praying off by yourself somewhere. And man, look, I know it might seem weird to some people that you'll find folks in the hallways praying for each other at church. But I've seen it, I've heard it. In fact, I've just come up on some people before and started praying with them. I think it's really weird that we as Christians come together to worship God and we don't pray more often together. Don't you? Let's just stop and think about this for a moment. If, if this church were God's house, which it, it is, by the way, but it, let's just say, picture in your mind that this, this building was God's house, okay? And we all came together at God's invitation to, to worship Him. 
And man, we, we were talking with each other about what had gone on, you know, throughout the week and just having fun, mixing and mingling and doing all those things together. And we left without ever taking time to talk to God who invited us to his house. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> Wouldn't it? When we don't pray together as Christians, that's basically what we're doing. We're snubbing the invite from the owner of the house. But man, when two or three or a Sunday school class or a group of deacons or some friends get together and they've heard somebody share this need or this hurt that they're experiencing in their life and they, they choose just for a couple of seconds to surround one another and pray for that person, man, I can tell you this right now, that person is instantaneously encouraged and strengthened. And God hears that prayer and he responds as his people express faith in him. And it happens when fellowship takes place within the church. A church loves others like Jesus. And then there's the fourth, the ministry dimension. The ministry dimension, or you could call it the service dimension if you want to. I'd kind of explain it like this. A church serves others in Jesus' name. A church serves others in Jesus' name. Look at verses 43 through 45, and just stop and think about what was transpiring. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. There's a lot of cool things taking place in those few verses, aren't there? This sense of amazement, this wonder had captured the affections and the attentions of all these people. These people, the, the apostles, were performing miracles. People were being healed by Jesus' divine power. Not only that, but these folks were sharing things with each other. Ones who had a lot sold it. Ones who had a little gave it up. And they all began to take care of each other, to love their neighbors as they loved themselves. And it's so backwards and foreign in our culture, right? In America, it's about how much you can personally pile up and stack up, and then you measure that against other people. Uh, I got more than so-and-so. We even, we even do that in, in church circles as Christians. But I'm, I'm not telling you that you have to go and sell everything that you have and come back tonight or next Sunday morning and stick it all in the offering plate during the worship service. But I am telling you this. You meet the needs of people around you. You care more about others' needs than you do your own wants. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. When a church loves Jesus and loves other people, a sense of amazement and wonder grips that group of people in a special way. Miracles were taking place in the book of Acts and people were sharing their wealth and possessions. But I think here's the, here's the problem kind of in our culture and it, it kind of invades the church if we're not careful. When people have everything they need, and we really do in America, when people have everything they need, they don't think that they need Jesus. And when they see other people who have needs, they think, why are you so lazy or stupid or incompetent or reckless that you couldn't meet your own needs? But this isn't the picture that the church should have of the people in their own congregation or even the people in their community. Because when people abandon everything so that they can have Jesus, 
they share everything that they had before. I mean, I really think that this church lived with the idea in mind that Jesus could come back any moment. Who cares if I own a house? I'm going to heaven. I think that this church lived with the mindset that, you know, it really doesn't matter how much wealth I accumulate. I'm not going to be able to take any of it with me. Let me help the ones around me who need because they have nothing. These people knew that they had Jesus and they decided to share everything that they had with each other. In fact, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, why don't we see all these miracles take place, you know, in, in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, like they did in the book of Acts? I kind of like to chime back in with this. Why don't we share everything with each other like they did in the book of Acts? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe somebody does need to do something radical and ridiculous and just sell it all. This church truly cared about other people that's the point they didn't just put up the facade they didn't just market themselves as do-gooders in the community they met the needs of people and loved them enough to serve them no matter what this was the service or the ministry dimension a church serves others in Jesus's name and then it culminates in the worship dimension the fifth dimension of the church a church worships Jesus Verses 46 and 47 say that day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple. Why the temple? They didn't have a building at this time, so they'd go back to the Jewish temple there in the city of Jerusalem, and they'd worship God together. It was a natural gathering place for them. They were breaking bread from house to house, so their worship didn't stop when they left the temple. It continued as they went to one another's homes. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, Praising God and having favor with all the people. I want you to notice that their praise of God didn't just start and stop when they came to the temple. It continued everywhere they went. Whether they're at the temple, breaking bread with each other house to house, talking with one another in personal conversation, they were worshiping Jesus in everything they said and everything that they did. It's kind of like the song that Nick and the praise team led us in this morning. When we come to worship Jesus, we ought to bring him more than just a song from our lips. We ought to bring him our lives and our hearts. Worship is not a once a week service. It's a daily lifestyle. This church knew it, understood it. And here's the cool thing. You ready? Here's the cool thing. When this church evangelized, when they told others about Jesus, and when this church made disciples, they practiced discipleship, they, they taught others, they helped others follow Jesus. When this church fellowshiped with one another, when, when they loved others like Jesus, when this church ministered, when this church served others in Jesus' name, and when this church worshiped Jesus, check out what happens in the verse 47. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, I want you to catch a five-dimensional vision for First Baptist Church, Walnut Ridge. Evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, worship. It's not about just getting a bunch of people into a room on Sunday mornings and, and asking them to give a financial offering so that we can count the nickels and noses that are present and presented. The Christian life is about you coming into personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
so that he can bring redemption to the world. Isn't it wonderful to read about this church in the book of Acts some 1,900 years later? Wouldn't it be something if 1,900 years from now, if Jesus still hasn't returned yet, if other followers of Jesus in Lesotho, Africa, or in Black Rock, Arkansas, read about God's work here at First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge, and how he changed the world through that little group of people, because they chose to tell others about Jesus, and because they chose to help others follow Jesus, and because they loved others like Jesus, and because they served others in Jesus' name, and just because they worshiped Jesus and gave him the glory that he deserves. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? As we study God's word together this morning, I trust that he's spoken to your heart. And I don't know how all he's spoken to your heart this morning, but I do know this, when God speaks, we need to listen. And when we listen to what he says, he expects us to obey. So maybe you need to step out in faith and give your life to Jesus this morning because you're not a Christian. You're not part of a church family. You're not part of God's family. He loves you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He's a father who gave up his only son so that you could have a place at his table. He'll invite you with open arms this morning. If you'll just ask forgiveness of your sins and trust that Jesus died on the cross for you and believe that he rose again. He'll give you new life. He'll give you a family. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been visiting our church for some time, but the Lord's showing you that you need to make a real commitment and become a member of this church to band with others and take the gospel message to the world around us. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart in another way this morning. You, you need to minister to somebody in our church or community. Maybe the Lord's maybe leading you to start a new ministry with others in our church. I'll be standing down here in the front if you'd like to speak with me or pray with me I'd be happy to do so or maybe even during this time instead of coming and talking to me you need to go talk to a brother or sister in Christ in this room and pray with them as God leads your heart during this song of invitation would you respond to him